You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcentreforthenations.org. Thank you. And we're going to go ahead and just put the title of this up. It is Our Passover. And we all know the term Passover, but I'm going to go into some details here concerning what exactly the Bible says about it. And you might think, well, why would we want to do that? Why do we have to go into this teaching uh, to go in depth into it? Well, you're going to find out as we go through. This is what I discovered, that if, if you comprehend this, what I'm going to share with you, and we're going to actually go through Old Testament and New Testament alike, we're going to cover a lot of scriptures, uh, be prepared for teaching, and... If you absorb it and accept it, it gives you a place of immunity, gives you a place of protection. It amplifies your ability to comprehend exactly what Jesus did for you, which makes you a better conveyor of that truth. So that when you come against things that fight those ideals, you're so much more convinced. The more knowledge you have along these lines of what Jesus has done for us, the greater you will be able to be a comfort to other people. And... I want to start by reading John chapter 1, verse 29. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So we start off with this passage considering what John was pointing at. Why would John say that he was the Lamb of God? Why is he the Lamb of God? And I'm sure everybody has heard a million times people say Jesus is the Lamb of God. We just sang two songs with that in it, the Lamb of God. But it's so much more significant than I think a lot of us have comprehended why he's called on them. Why, when he is revealed in heaven, John sees the Lamb on the throne. Why we see that he's high and lifted up. Why he's being called here the Lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Not just the sins of the Jews, but of everyone. And that's the significance of all these things surrounding why? And you're going to understand better than ever before by the time I'm done with you tonight exactly why he's called the Lamb of God. The events of the last week of the life of Jesus Christ are actually the most significant moment in all of history. Uh, the eight days from Palm Sunday, we call it, to Resurrection Sunday change everything about humanity and God together in our relationship. Somebody might think that, well, why are you teaching this right now? Shouldn't you be teaching this actually at the Passover or during the time of the Holy? Well, if God had given me this revelation and led me to do this, then I would have done that. But what we do, we do by the Spirit. Maybe people need to hear this right now. Maybe people need to understand more than ever before with what's going on on the planet and a lot of the fears that are out there. And I will start by saying I'm not living under fear and one of the reasons why, I've been wondering why I absolutely have no fears whatsoever, and I realize it's because I know this material. And it gives me such a comfort and a rest to know that if I know this, and this is the truth, it's so clear, then there's no fear that I have to have. So I want to be able to share that strength. I want to be able to share that comfort with everyone, with you, with your families, and then you, if you get this, you can share it with other people. And it's about Jesus being the Lamb and, and this time in his life, this end is an amazing uh, symbolism that is projected here, but to understand why Jesus is what he is in the New Testament, we have to go to the Old Testament, but these eight days begin with Jesus, we go back in history, and it begins with Jesus coming to the beautiful city of Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover festival. In fact, there's a moment before he ever goes into Jerusalem in his triumphal entry that he looks at the city and his heart is broken, he weeps for the city, and he feels so much. And you wonder, why is the city so significant? Why Jerusalem? I, I've often said that I'm not particularly one that feels I need to be or go to the Holy Land because of my relationship with Christ. But Christ needed to go into the city and needed to be in the city of David and in the temple area 
all because of a precise formula of God's redemption for all of humanity. And this is what we're going to see portrayed in what was the ancient Israelite uh, story of the Passover, but also the festival and all that they do. So this spring Jewish feast, as they call it, we can gain powerful insights if we look at it. And the reason I'm sharing this today is because of what I just said. We need to have this strength. So let's examine in two parts. We're going to see the history and the symbology of the Passover. The history, of course, starts, let's go right into that, the history of the Passover. Passover was first celebrated by the ancient Israelites as they were freed from Egypt after living in bondage as slaves for over 400 years. So I wanted to read this scripture to you. I'm going to read it in its entirety, this portion of it, because it's going to give us an overall glimpse of what God said before the Passover ever took place. Then we're going to go into certain laws, and then we're going to project it over the life of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, so you'll understand it. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. Now you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with the bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now in this story in context. We know that the Israelites had been slaves for over 400 years, approximately 430 years. And before then, this, they got there because of Joseph and saving the then known world from starvation. And God opened that door. But now they've been mistreated and God wants to deliver them. This point, in this very moment that these instructions are being given, they are inside of their homes after multiple plagues have already taken place. The nation is in shambles. There are frogs and blood and all, you know, the plagues that Moses was used to bring with God upon the Egyptians to be able to get them free. And this Passover or this angel of death, the destruction that was coming, was the last plague... It would be the straw that breaks the camel's back or the pharaoh's back in this case that would convince him that he must let them go. But it was such a harsh thing because that's exactly what Egypt deserved at this point. They deserved this kind of punishment. And in actuality, we live on planet Earth and we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We know that the nations have detested God. We know that we've turned against him, many, Maybe not us in this room right here tonight, but speaking as a representative of all of humanity, we are in trouble. 
we are about to come into dark days. We're going to see destruction. We're going to see problems on earth. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Just like the Egyptians were experiencing what they're experiencing, the Jews were kept separated from that because they had a covenant with God. And this final blow of the death coming to the firstborn of all the Egyptians would also affect the Israelites if they did not do exactly what this passage stated. There's no mention of any of the Israelites not putting the blood, which means, miraculously, uh, a little less than two million Jews took blood and put it on their doorposts. That's a huge cooperation. They took these words seriously. And now we're going to see, break it down quickly, seven elements of the Passover in this Number one, you take the lamb. And it's where it said, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. And now I'm going to show you the sequence of events according to the numbers of their days. Because he's restarting the calendar for Israel. This is their birth into a brand new existence as a brand new people with a covenant under God. And so time begins again. Their year starts from the moment they walk out in freedom. And so he starts counting. That calendar is still used to this day. And the first step, it says, is take this lamb. So as part of this deliverance, the Lord commanded that on the 10th day of the first month, the people were to select a lamb without blemish, that was one year old, like we read, and they would take the lamb into their homes to live with them for four days. How would you like to have a lamb live in your house for four days? What do you think, if you have children, for instance, how do you think they're going to relate to this lamb? It's going to become a pet. Four days playing with the cute little lamb in the house. Your affections, your feelings for this animal will grow. You will become a part of it. You, it will be endearing to you, sweet little, meh, little lamb. You may even let it lay on your lap. You may scratch it like a little kitten or puppy. But it is a bonding process. Now, one of the reasons also that they had the lamb in the home for four days is because they had to make absolutely sure that the lamb was pure. They needed to examine it carefully to make sure there were no imperfections. And they had to have grown close to this lamb. Now, after the lamb comes into the home, the people were close to it. The second element is to cleanse the home. Now, it said in, this, in another scripture we're reading here, this is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat Bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh must be cut off from Israel. So now we see that the cleansing of the home had to take place. They had to make sure that there was nothing that would be able to contaminate in the home. In other words, this yeast or this what would be able to spread to other things. They had to be very careful to make sure that um, they were not going to contaminate their other food items. And they had to do it over a long period of time for the cleansing to take place. So as they did, they by the time they got to the end, there was no yeast available to contaminate and they had to purify. Now all this is going on at the same time. Then number three, you have to slay the lamb. Now, it says, take care of them, these lambs, until the 14th day of the month when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. So that means that on the 14th day of the month, the family then killed this lamb, being careful not to break any bones. So here we see on the calendar again, the lambs are taken in and at the 4th, Four days they're there when they are certain that the lamb is pure, no issues with the lamb, then they know that it is an adequate sacrifice. And I can't help but think that this would be a miserable moment for the children that have grown close to this lamb. And it seems almost cruel. But the Passover was on the 14th, or the slaughtering of the lambs took place 
on that 14th day after the four days, full days with this lamb in the company of the lamb. Then, number four, you apply the blood. So then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat lambs. Now they would do this with a hyssop branch. So they would take a hyssop branch and use it to dip in the blood and paint it on the doorposts of their homes. And this was to be a sign for the destroying angel that came over to know not to touch that house, not to interfere with them. So after this application of blood, they are inside and there's the ritual that continues. So they take the animal, they slaughter the animal, they now have the meat, they begin to prepare that meat for cooking. Also during this time, they are to do no other labor but that. They're not allowed to do, it's like a continual Sabbath for multiple days. So that means you have to sit in the house and stare at this lamb for four days. You can't do anything else. You can't do any work. You can't go outside and cut wood. You have to have already provided all those things to the only thing you're allowed to do is cook the food so four days you're spent waiting for this lamb and you're eating unleavened bread during this whole time as well to keep the leaven out of your house. And that's where we see number five, the eat feast of unleavened bread. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. So the calendar goes on, and in this moment, the Lord commands them as a family, as they gather together, that they share this meal consisting of these elements, the lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. Now, the unleavened bread, we have symbology in this that we see. The unleavened bread represents the haste in departing. In other passages, it talks about the fact that you have to leave quickly. That's why your cloak is tucked in and you have your shoes on and you have your staff with you. Basically, you have your backpack on your back and you're ready to leave. And their kneading troughs also were wrapped in their own clothing or their shawls, whatever they had, with the dough in it, but it could not contain yeast. And the reason is that the yeast would not be able to rise in time. It represented haste, that they needed to move quickly. The bitter herbs are representation of the bitterness of slavery, that they were going through this horrible time in their life, not just for a day or two, but for generations. For 400 years, they were under the tyranny of the Egyptians controlling them until the cry went up to God. And you know, that's the first thing he told Moses when he met Moses. Their cry has come up to me. I'm going to send you to deliver them from Pharaoh. And that was the bitterness that they were going through is represented by the bitter herbs. Now, the wine, because according to later Jewish tradition, wine was also part of the feast as a symbol of joy and redemption. Because by the way, in the law itself, it doesn't mention the wine. But in the New Testament, it mentions the wine, and Jesus uses the wine as well. So by the day of Jesus, the Jews integrated wine into the process, and it became an integral part of the celebration of Passover. So that by the day of Jesus, you could not celebrate Passover without partaking in the wine, the bread, and the bitter herbs. Now, once they were freed from slavery, Israel was commanded to celebrate the Passover every year, to commemorate and help them always remember what? The powerful hand of God that delivered them from bondage. And it was specifically said, you need to tell your children about this for a very long time. In other words, what's going to take place? This mighty deliverance. And if you had been present in the house when all this was taking place and participated in the first Passover and could hear the screams of the people because in no home was there not a dead person except for the homes of the Israelites. And it says you could hear the cries and the screams of all the people that lost their firstborn. And as you sit in that house, trembling, you hear, I don't know if the angel made a sound, but certainly you heard its effects, but that death, that plague went through the land, but they were protected because the blood was over 
their house or their, their doorposts and the sides of the door. And when the time was right and it was time to go, they all left. And they would be called by the others. And they were also allowed to ask the Egyptians for clothing and jewelry and of all things. So they, God favorably, favorably disposed the Egyptians to give them. I think they were afraid of them. Because at this point, they saw all the plagues. They suffered. They were, half of them were angry at Pharaoh for having such a stubborn heart. They're the ones that lost all their crops and all their animals and everything. And they just know that these people, their God is so powerful. that Not only has he done all these plagues, but he's also wiped out all the firstborn. Whatever you want, take it. And they gave them gold and jewels and, and their garments and everything to where they spent boiled the Egyptians as if they were a raiding party. But there was no resistance. They just gave them everything and said, please, go. Go away. Just leave us. And they did so. And this was the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which stretched for a period of time from the 14th was the Passover, and then that afterwards was the time as the, this is the time that they were moving toward the Red Sea. And they're trapped, and God, all during that time is when they were traveling to that place. So they had to be in haste. They had to have unleavened bread during that time. Now, number six is the, to offer the first fruits. And it says here that when you have entered the land, the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket to go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. And say to the priests in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. In other words, the, when you finally have a harvest or something comes to you, each spring the Israelites would do this. There's a reason why I'm mentioning, you're thinking, well, did they suddenly have a harvest right after they left in the Exodus? No, but after they settled in the land, this is a very important element in relation to Christ that we're going to see later. That's why we have to understand it. So the Israelites... They are commanded to, have, to celebrate this feast of the first fruits where their harvests come in. And before they could consume anything, they had to give a portion to God first. So on the evening of the Sabbath, the priests were to cut the best sheath of barley and bring it to the temple to be threshed and ground. So during this time, actually, by Jewish tradition, the priests would actually judge crops and judge harvest. They would almost like a, like a show of growing roses. You know, you have competitions. The very best of someone's field was the one that needed to go and sacrifice. They would not accept anything but the very best. If you had, for instance, a whole field of barley and maybe one corner was bigger and more beautiful and it just grew better there, the priest knew it because the priests were examining these things. And your sacrifice, the first fruits, had to come from the best of the best. The most quality product you had, you give to God. And so in this case, the best sheath of barley, and bring it to the temple to be threshed and ground. And in the morning, the flour from the ground barley would be combined with oil and frankincense, and then it was burned as an offering to God. This symbolizes the gratitude of the people by first giving to the Lord as an offering before enjoying the harvest for themselves. Of course, they had the whole rest of the harvest. They just needed to offer the first basket. They may have had hundreds of baskets. We don't know. They just needed to give the very first, before they ever ate even one grain. And it was a very strict tradition. So with this understanding of the celebration of the Passover in the culture of Israel, we have to consider some significant things that happen, but there's one more, which is number seven, enjoy the harvest of redemption. Deuteronomy 26, 18 says, and the Lord has declared this day that you are his people, his treasured possession, 
as he promised, and that you are to keep all his commands. He has declared that he will set you in praise, fame, and honor high above all the nations he has made, and that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God as he promised. Now, this is the fruit of the Israelites living exactly according to these principles. And that's the seventh element of the seventh element of it is that you will enjoy prosperity, you will enjoy protection, you will enjoy fame, even it says honor, praise, people will speak well of you, God will bring those kind of blessings on you. So that right now, and I know that seems a little bit, okay, great, but hang on to everything I just taught you because we're going to superimpose this upon Jesus and it's going to blow your mind because every single detail. Now remember that Jesus spoke in parables, right? Everywhere he went, he taught in parables. He taught about the sower going out to sow the seed. He taught about the ten virgins. He taught about the parable of the minas and the talents. He used analogies of life, parables, allegories to describe principles. But what we do not realize is that what we call Holy Week, the entire week and every single thing at every single moment that he did was one long parable. And I've never really seen it before until I studied it out today. That every part of it was very significant in relation to Passover. So now what I'm going to take, now that you've been educated, how many of you feel you pretty much understand what Passover is now in the Jewish celebration? So now we go to the second part of this message, the symbology of the Passover. And so we're going to look at elements of the symbology of the Passover. Remember we saw, and we're not going to numerically really follow these like we did the others because you already have that, but first they took the lamb, right? And in taking the lamb... This is welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem. So Matthew 21, 9 says, A very large, or 8 it starts, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, in relation to this, we go back to the chart about taking the lamb into the home. And this is Jesus received into Jerusalem. Now, the timing is impeccable. That the very moment that the lambs were being taken at the same time as the people were taking the lambs into their homes for that four-day period, Jesus was being welcomed. You understand that exactly when they were screaming, Hosanna in the highest, welcoming him into Jerusalem, they were also taking their lambs into the house. So the symbology of it is so clear that Jerusalem was the type of God's home and the home of the Jews. And to receive Jesus into the city was exactly receiving the lamb into the homes. And he was welcomed with these shouts of praise and acclamation. I don't know if you've ever been welcomed that much. Have you ever gone somewhere and they welcome you so much that they laid palm leaves on the ground and they put their garments for you to walk on and they screamed and shouted and hollered? No. I don't think anyone's ever been that. You, maybe if you are some kind of celebrity. But they could not possibly, as the citizens of Jerusalem, made Jesus feel any more welcome. They didn't do this in Jericho. They didn't do this in Samaria. They didn't do this in any other places. They didn't do it in Nazareth. He had no respect there. They didn't do it anywhere. But to fulfill this beautiful principle, they had to welcome the Lamb into the city. And as he came in, they're rejoicing, they're excited, they're celebrating his arrival because Jesus, the true Passover lamb, entered his father's home, the temple of Jerusalem. And that's the first place he went. Just as the people were taking the lambs into their homes, Jesus went straight to the temple courts. Now, Jesus, it, the timing is exactly the same too, remember, that as he, the lambs spent four days inside their homes, Jesus spent four days teaching and spending time with the people. 
as he was being observed, being analyzed in this moment. We're going to talk more about that in a moment, but I want to talk about cleansing the home. Remember we saw that Jesus cleanses the temple. So at the very moment that they are purifying their homes of all leaven in preparation, it says in Matthew 21, 12, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. And actually this cleansing started or the preparation of actually began with John in Matthew 3, 1, where it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Who is he preparing for? The Lamb of God. He was getting the people ready. And charging them up so that when Jesus did finally come, they would know by this prophet that they all recognized that he was indeed the Messiah. And that's why they were so thrilled. So this plan was set up long before. The timing is so important. That's why you understand better when Jesus was with his family in Nazareth in Galilee. And he's sitting with his brothers. And his brothers said, look, we're going up to the festival. Why don't you come with us? And he says, no, my time's not yet. And they said, well, look, anybody that wants to be a public figure doesn't hide out in a house. They're obviously going to go to the streets and show themselves. Come on. And they said this because the scripture says they did not believe in him. But they said, why? And Jesus, what did he say? He said, no, my time has not yet come. But very shortly after that, he got up and went. Because he had to wait for exactly the moment that the lambs were entering homes. Because it was a perfect picture of what he had to do. So upon entering the temple courts now, he also has to clean his father's house. Remember that they're cleaning their houses and purifying them of all leaven. Well, his house is his father's house. Remember when he was a child, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? The zeal of his father's house consumed him. You go to all the references in the scripture that this was dad's home. This was father God's home and Jesus was the son of God and it was his obligation to cleanse this temple. At the same time, all the Jews that are cleansing their homes, he's cleansing the temple. Now, Jesus is teaching at the temple. We see another time frame here. Jesus teaches at the temple and it says there in Matthew 21, 15, but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants you Lord, have called forth your praise. So this is interesting because in this moment that Jesus is being present in his father's house, he is the lamb now who is still alive, just like the other lamb. And as the people in the home were required to examine the lamb for four days, the Jews, the, the priests, are examining Jesus for four days of teaching. Why didn't they shut him up? Why didn't they just stop him? They contested with him. They asked him hard questions. By what authority are you doing this? Why you said, who said you can come in here and throw over all the money changer tables and evict all the animals? But for three days he taught as the, as the priests examined and questioned him because they were looking for flaws. They were looking for something wrong with him. I, exactly what was being done with the, the real lambs or the physical lamb animals that they had. So this was happening exactly when those people were doing that. They were examining the lambs and the priests are examining Jesus for the same period of time. Now, remember, they slay the lamb. Now, this is interesting. We see in this time frame, again, on the 14th, we see the Passover. You slay the Passover lamb. And then the Last Supper. And really, this is according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, on the eve of the 14th day, as it says there, the Savior celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. We know about the Passover meal, but very specifically in that moment, it's important to note that Matthew, Mark, and Luke 
point at this exact moment. Later, we're going to talk about John because he does not, but it's very important. But here, they say this, and as Jesus did this, in this moment that he is at the Last Supper, he did something fascinating with the elements of the Passover celebration. So he took the symbols of Passover feast and converted them into symbols of his sacrifice on the cross. You know, we break bread. We have the little bread and the little cup, and we say this is the body of Christ. And This was the very bread of unleavened bread of the celebration of Passover and the wine that they drank and the bitter herbs that time. So he took the unleavened bread and taught that it symbolized his body. And the two symbols became what we call the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. Now, unleavened bread equals sinless body because the leaven was a type of sin. The leaven was a contamination and to purify, they had to do away with it entirely. Well, Jesus had no leaven, if you would, in his physical body. So representing the bread, he was unleavened bread. And the sweet wine was the perfect blood of Jesus. Now, he used the wine as the cup, you know, the scriptures where he took the bread, he broke it, he said, this is my body. And then he took the cup and he said, this is my blood. And as often as you eat together, remember this which Jesus was taking something that was formerly just done once a year and saying, we're going to reinvent this holiday. And instead of doing it once a year, as often as you eat, I want you to remember this. So he is basically taking over the tradition of Passover to signify or be himself. Now, this is really interesting because the bitter herbs are not used in symbology by Jesus. And as I was thinking about this, it's interesting to note that if he did not incorporate the bitter herbs as a symbol, I believe this was because he bore the bitterness of the cross for us. So the bitter part of suffering was his suffering. He's the one that went to the garden. He's the one that was atoning for us all as the lamb. And we see that in the scripture in Luke twenty two thirty nine. 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him on reaching the place. He said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And this was a, an extreme condition of the body. Uh, I don't know the name of it uh, offhand, but it caused so much stress in you that your, your capillaries burst, and blood was forced through your sudoriferous and sebaceous glands coming out of your skin. So he sweat as if it were drops coming out of his skin. And it, it is a medical fact. It does happen. And that's why this was happening. Because why? Because of the extreme bitterness of having the sin of us all put upon him. So it is interesting. He did not include the bitter herbs in his, if not in our church when we were doing Holy Communion, we'd also have a little bitter thing there we had to eat. But he took our bitterness for us. Jesus atoning for all of us as lamb. So as hundreds of thousands of Jewish people we're going back to the time that all this is happening. As hundreds of thousands of Jewish people in Jerusalem are celebrating the ancient redemption of Israel, Jesus was in this garden suffering, providing true deliverance. And just as the blood on the doorposts protect ancient Israel from the destroying angel, so too the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross can protect us from the effects of sin and death and sickness. So in the dead of night now, Jesus was arrested. From that point, you know, they came and arrested him. And he's taken to Caiaphas, the high priest, to be tried and examined. In John 18, 12, it says, Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year, Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. So what's amazing 
is that Caiaphas, as the high priest at that exact time, had the ultimate authority to authenticate the purity of a lamb that had to be sacrificed. And he actually authenticated Jesus. Isn't that cool? He said, well, you know that one man has to die. I don't think he really knew what he was doing. But he stood in his role, anointed of God. Gosh, if it doesn't get to you, you what he did for us. What you feel when you feel something like that, that is atonement. You understand? That is your sins. <laughs> in that moment, you're being purified. But we have to apply the blood. The blood of Jesus has to be applied to our lives. John 19, 28. Later knowing that everything had now been finished. And so that scripture would be fulfilled. Jesus said, I'm thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it. Put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant. And lifted it to the Jesus' lips. When he'd received the drink, Jesus said, it's finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You understand, the very same plant that was used by the Israelites to paint the blood on the doorposts is the plant that was used to give him this, this spoiled vinegar wine, this wine that had gone rotten. And he partook in it. So, according to the Gospel of John, Jesus was crucified at noon. It gets even more precise. And according to the Gospel of John, he's crucified at noon. He hung on the cross for several hours. And as he hung, this branch of hyssop is used, the same kind used to apply the blood on the doorpost. And at the end of the branch, that, that sponge with the wine vinegar, spoiled wine, it helped try to help him with his excruciating pain. He received it. Then, at 3 p.m., Matthew tells us that Jesus died. It says, about 3 in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs were broken. Three o'clock exactly. Now, this is important to understand because concerning the events of Holy Week, there are some discrepancies. And I want to show you this, mysterious discrepancies in the Gospels. When we went to Bible school, remember we uh, had Harmony of the Gospels with A.T. Robinson's book, and we were made to study in the back of the book of the Harmony of the Gospels, there were, I think it was 12, right? Like 12 discrepancies, the major discrepancies, and this was one of them. Because theologians can not quite reconcile why there's this variation. And in actuality, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Last Supper is put at a different time than the others. So one of these differences in the, in, is that John places the Passover on the following day, not the night of the Last Supper. This means that according to John, at the exact time the lambs were being slain at the temple, which was officially from 3 to 6 p.m., the very moment that they were letting the blood from the necks of the lambs to offer them as sacrifices, Jesus died on the cross for all of God's children. John chapter 19, verse 32 says, The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who was, um, I'm sorry, the man who saw it 
has given testimony, and his testimony is true. This is John speaking of himself. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Now, one of the laws about the offering of the lamb is that you could not break any bones. If you broke a bone in the lamb at Passover, that lamb was no longer eligible to be a sacrifice. You had to be sure not to damage the animal in any way, but simply lay it down. Of course, when you slit the, the jugular vein of the neck, it would bleed out and die very quickly. It's actually a very humane way to do it. And they would bleed the lamb out, it would die, but they could not break a bone. And so Jesus was exactly the same. The body of Jesus was then laid in a, a borrowed tomb where on Sunday, the Jewish Sabbath, Jesus' mortal body rested from all labors. So the time now he goes into the tomb is the same time as the Sabbath has come. And then we see the offering of the first fruits in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're almost done, verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits. Then, when he comes, those who belong to him. And you see the placement in the calendar, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Passover, and the first fruits took place three days exactly after his death on the cross and burial, which is the third day that he rose. He rose exactly when the first fruits were being offered in ceremony. So the following day on the Sunday of the first day of the week, Jesus rose from the dead, overcoming all things. And according to the Gospel of John, Jesus rose from the dead at the same time when the first fruits were offered at the temple, thus fulfilling this aspect of the law, becoming the first fruits of them that slept. By the way, that's us and all those that came before. Anyone that believes in him, he's the firstborn among many. He is the first fruits, and we all follow. So the power of of this symbolism of Passover is amazing. These are the five main things. Jesus is received by the people on the same day as the Passover lamb. Number two, Jesus cleanses his father's temple on the same day that the people were cleansing their homes. Number three, Jesus is examined and tried by the very priests who were responsible for authenticating all temple sacrifices, and he was authorized as the sacrifice. Therefore, Jesus suffers and dies at the very moment when the lambs are being sacrificed at the temple. In fifth, Jesus then rises from the dead exactly when the first fruits of the harvest are offered before the Lord. So Jesus Christ is the true Passover lamb. Because of him, we are redeemed from bondage and slavery. Because of his blood, we are protected from the destroying angel, which means any death that goes out against this planet. And throughout the Bible, Egypt is a type of the world. And the Israelites are a type of us. And we are protected. To see how powerful this analogy is and understand that if the blood of Jesus is over you, and of course, we don't actually have his physical blood because it's a spiritual relationship. But it's why it's so important. It's why you hear people say, you know, I plead the blood or I claim the blood. That sounds kind of gross if you're not educated about the concept. But every day, I thank God for the blood of Jesus. And he rose from the dead as the first fruits for me. He's the true Passover lamb. And I end with that scripture, Behold the Lamb of God. Again, we reread what we read in introduction. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might 
be revealed to Israel. And we're going to stop it right there. Why don't we stand up? We're going to pray. Wonderful King. You say, well, how do I appropriate this? How am I sure that I'm safe? You just believe it. And this, this teaching just kind of helps you see it with the greater depth of exactly what Jesus did for us. We're grateful, Jesus. We're grateful, Jesus. I want to sing that chorus again. Behold the Lamb of God Seated on the throne The one who died and rose again the Lamb upon the throne. Sing it again. Behold the Lamb of God seated on His throne. The one who died and rose again. The Lamb upon Taking my sin, my cross, my shame, rising again, I bless your name. You are my all in all. And when I fall down, you pick me up. When I'm dry, you fill my cup. You are my all in all, Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Precious Lamb of God, we are so grateful for the sacrifice that you made for us. And that here and now we know that we claim that blood that was shed on the cross at Calvary. We take the hyssop, we dip it, we put it over our homes, we put it over our children, we put it over our lives. This is truth that even if the angel of death comes, even if the destroyer comes, even if plagues come and go, once and for all, we know that we are sanctified, that we are protected, that we stand and live under the blood of Jesus. Now we understand what you meant when you said, as often as you eat together, remember, this is my body, this is my blood it was given as a sacrifice for you. Lord, as we even fellowship together, the Apostle Paul taught, when you do come together, make sure that you do it in a manner that is worthy. In other words, make sure that you understand what it means. Because if you do not, you may fall asleep prematurely, the Apostle Paul said. In other words, you may die of sicknesses and diseases, never having claimed your right in healing or claimed your right in protection because the blood must be applied every family had to take the hyssop every individual had to take the lamb and bleed it into a bucket and then take that blood and wipe it on their doorposts in the frame just as we all are responsible everyone works out their own salvation with fear and trembling we take it seriously so tonight we say, Lord Jesus, may your blood be upon us. May your blood be over us. Wash us free. Stand over us. So no matter what happens and no matter what comes, we know that we are safe. We trust you, Lord. We trust you, Jesus. Mighty Savior, 
by extension, even as we've been praying, Lord, we know that if we carry this truth, we may come across people in this day, in this hour, that are afraid, and we have information for them. We can say, you know, I have a remedy. I have protection. If you listen to me, I would like to tell you about a very important gift that has been given to all men, to everyone for the sins of the whole world, for the protection of all those, the Lamb of God was slain. The song that they will sing, in fact, this is so important that this song will echo through eternity, that we will stand in the heavens and the angels will sing a song about the Lamb of God. The Lamb is still in operation. Only He was found worthy to open the scroll as John saw. We recognize the Lamb of God for our lives. And we're grateful for it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I speak out of that authority and in that place of protection. I speak to any plague, any sickness, any disease, anything that would try to come against us. And I demand that you pay close attention to the fact that I am aware, fully cognizant, and conscious of the fact that the blood of Jesus is over me. It's over my home. It's over my family. It's over my friends. It's over our church. It's over everyone in this room. We are safe. We can enjoy the harvest as we celebrate the first fruits of Christ. We give you all glory. We give you the highest place of preeminence in our life. Be high and lifted up. Lord, we give you the glory for all things, knowing that we are protected. We can breathe a sigh of relief, knowing that no plague will come to our dwelling. Because of you, Jesus. Because of you, Lord. We're grateful. Let's just sing his name again. Jesus. Lamb of God, worthy is your name, Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name, oh, the blood. Of Jesus, oh, the blood of Jesus, oh, the blood of is white as snow. Sing one more time about the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. We ask that everything that we've covered here tonight, everything that we've read together, would be sealed to our hearts. We would not forget this information, that we would take it into mind constantly. 
times. You said as often as we meet together, as often as we eat and drink, as often as we have a meal, we should remember. You gave instructions to the Israelites to make sure they explained to every generation in detail. And the ritual was that the youngest in the home of the Jews would ask the oldest, why are we celebrating the Passover? And he would recount the story. And our heritage now in Christ, as those that he has redeemed, is to simply remember that Jesus paid the price for us. Lord, we do so tonight.